Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. The Tribe Called Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the TalkHouse Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. For our first episode of the new year, we've got an unlikely pairing, which is one of our favorite kinds of pairings. But it wasn't exactly our idea to connect Michael Vincent Waller and Lex Luger. It was theirs. The contemporary classical composer and the extremely prolific hip-hop producer made a really cool record together that came out in 2021 called Classics. Waller is not your typical classical composer. He's a real musical searcher. His compositions range from avant-garde to minimalist to slightly more classic-sounding classical music. But over his career, he hasn't stayed in one place musically for very long. He made a record back in 2019 with electronic producer Jalen, which you may have read about in an interview with the pair on TalkHouse.com. So maybe it's no surprise at all that Waller didn't let genre get in the way of his love for hip-hop when he reached out to Luger for an assist on classics, which I should note is credited to MVW rather than Waller's full name, in case you have trouble finding it on your favorite streaming service. The two collaborated on the music, as you'll hear, and they brought in a bunch of voices to help flesh things out. Check out a bit of Still Do, which features Valley on the mic. Still do, get the guap, we still do. Bitch won't hit up 90210 the shop, we still do. Get the bitch from back and get that hoe right back, I still do. Come guap in my living room, block for who trying to steal loot. Foreign car, no still do, get the guap, we still do. Now, Luger has had an incredible career in hip-hop. For the last decade plus, he's been a go-to producer for some huge names, starting with Waka Flocka Flame, who he connected with via MySpace, and Rick Ross. But running through tracks by Jay-Z, Kanye West, and Snoop Dogg, among many, many others. He famously used to make hundreds of beats at a stretch. If you didn't like one of his spooky trap sounds, he had a dozen others ready for you. I guess the place that Luger and Waller might intersect is that Luger's beats often feature symphonic elements. They can sound at times like horror movie scores. In this conversation, Luger and Waller talk about how working together affected them. It was more than just another job for Luger, who feels like he'd learned something valuable from Waller's acoustic-first approach. They also talk about what music actually means to them, which is a very TalkHouse-friendly subject. They clearly want to work with one another again, which says something about the deep connection they made on Classics. Enjoy. All right, Mike, what's up, man? How are you? I can't complain at all. You know, still going over the album we did, man. It's amazing. Like, believe it or not, I, I go to it to get, like, some inspiration. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about it. It was something that, you know, I think just kind of started small and open, and it's starting to open up more, you know? Yeah. It's kind of coming together in time. If you think about when you did the first remix kind of beat composition, all of the above, it's been a while, actually. From that first initial collab we did together, I had no idea, you know what I mean? It was going to take off like this, or we was going to do a whole project. I did know it was something special, though. You know what I mean, bro? You gave me, like, a creative space, like a creative pocket that I guess I hadn't reached yet. I come from, like, sampling. I don't know if you know, man, but, like, I, before I started making, like, trap southern beats, I was heavy on, like, dip set and sampling. So this kind of made me feel like a kid again, you know, sampling and just flipping stuff making it faster, changing the BPM, changing the octave, bro. It was, it was fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In each beat, I felt like there was a unique kind of transformation and kind of dialogue you had mm. with the material, almost like a conversation between the original sample and then how it was kind of recontextualized. True. And just the way you framed some of the intros and found those moments break down in 
and dripping. It was like a real portrait for both of the worlds to kind of work together. When I heard it, like, oh, okay, I want to do this. But once I actually, you know, got it into FL Studio and got going, man, I was like, oh, man, this is fun. I'm not going to really come at this project with like a, you know, structured, you know what I mean? Just not so structured, bro. Just more fun and free. And it's crazy you mentioned that record because that's like my favorite record on the EP. What's your favorite record, bro? I would say that that's probably one of my favorite beats. I think Still Do is one of my favorite records. Ah, yeah, true. Just the way that the instruments are floating mm -hmm. in correlation to the into the hits and the bounce in the drums and the 808. I think it really has that kind of pocket feel. It's really crystal clear. And then the way that Valet kind of flows and, and the sound of his voice kind of moves around like, you know, smoke off of incense or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> we had like DM each other. I had sent him beats, whatnot. He's probably like one of my favorite artists right now. But we had never done anything, man. So when you had came to me like, hey, you know, I got bro on the song. I was like, yes, bro. Like I was hyped. I was super hyped. Because like I said, he's one of my favorite artists. I think he's like underappreciated. You know what I mean? For sure. How did you go about getting Duke Deuce on it, bro? I, I just hit up his manager. I really liked his first, that first like tape, that LP. Yeah, yep. And I just felt like he would add a counterpoint. And I, I really wanted a little bit of the Memphis sound mm. with Valet kind of representing Chicago. Mm -hmm. You know, having different regions, like even UK and Jamaica with Jaden Clover and Shanique. Yeah. And then got it from ATL trying to give this kind of balance in different regional sounds and stuff like that, trying to bring it together. So it's kind of had this, you know, more of this kind of assemblage feel of like bringing different worlds together. Yeah, it worked out perfect, man. You know what, like the Deuce record, I think the drums are, are Memphis, you know what I mean? Like to me, I think for sure I use the, uh, the Project Pat snare on that beat. Yeah. But he did kind of come super laid back Super cool. And I loved it. I loved it. You know, I thought I wanted the super hype, you know, Crunk Ain't Dead, Duke Deuce. But, you know, the one that he brought on the record, man, it was pretty cool. It was pretty chill. He wrote the beat. It's perfect. And you added the stomp box that also had like a little yeah. bit of <laughs> The classic BMF, man. Classic BMF stomp. <laughs> we talked about it a, a little once, but I was kind of curious. In 2010, and even probably earlier, you kind of were this iconoclastic composer producer who brought orchestral sounds together you know if you look at so much money juicy j or ham with the kind of operatic elements and just these orchestral hits you know with strings brass cymbals i'm just curious if there was something different about this kind of music which is more chamber a few instruments rather than a full orchestra sound if there was something different about like just a couple instruments like a vibraphone solo or you know, a couple of bassoons and violin, just if that changed anything in the way that you sampled or approached some of the uh, the textures. You know, when you sent me these, you know, songs, it, it felt like I was listening to a score, bro. You know what I mean? Music that I grew up on or that I sampled or even that I made was very repetitive. It's like a four to eight bar loop and that, that's it for the whole minute or two minutes. So when you sent me that, I was able to just sit down, turn my speakers loud, and just listen to the whole two or three minutes. And, you know, I had to keep going over and listening to it and listening to it because I found so many different parts, bro. So you would send me, you know, one song and I would make three or four beats with that one song. Like I would chop it up and try to find what I liked. I know sometimes it might have 
took me a little while to, you know, send you the beat back, but it was because of that reason, you know, just trying to figure out something that I really liked, something that would please you too as well and the fans. So I do think I had to use my brain a little more with this one, like I said, because it, it just wasn't repetitive, man. Like it felt like each song that you sent me was just, it just sent me on a, on a roller coaster, I would go up slowly and come down fast and do a turn and spin. You know what I mean? So it gave me a certain appreciation for classic music again, bro. You know, because like the way you just broke down kind of how I use bells and orchestras and, you know, I was 17, 18 at the time, man. So I didn't have, I didn't look at it like that. Yeah. Like I was just having fun making music. So after the heart and the paint and the ham and the Rick Ross records and all of that, the fun got taken out of it. You know, everything kind of felt like a recipe, just going in there, clicking in buttons and stuff. You didn't really pressure me, give me a deadline and whatnot. And, you know, I was able to be free, man. So this was like a, a breath of fresh air <laughs> in this project. That's really humbling. I'm really happy to hear that. Oh, yeah, for sure, dude, for sure. That's interesting that you say that. And I that's kind of related question to bringing up that kind of period was when maybe you discovered this new world and you kind of innovated this sound. And then shortly after, there was a huge phase of emulation. It became like an iconic sound where the future of music was headed and that, that kind of shift in the direction you were creating. Yeah, it blew my mind. <laughs> Did you feel like you had to innovate or reinvent yourself or try to change because it was becoming emulated? Dude, I had got so depressed and, and insecure almost, man. Just trying to reinvent myself. You know what I mean? Just just going against the grain, just, you know, everything that I had built up and created, you know, I just felt like I had to scrape it, you know, just tear it down and create something new. I had to just come out with new genres and new sounds that nobody had ever heard of. But, you know, I'm older now, I'm 30 years old, and I go back and I listen. Timbaland and Pharrell always sounded the same. You know, they had signature sounds. So I was I was just putting this unnecessary pressure on me, man, just because people were copying my beats. And, you know, I look back now like, man, I was such, I was so young and dumb. You know what I mean? If I would have just stayed focused when I came in the game, bro, all the old producers was hating on me saying, you know, I wasn't a real producer. He's just making beats on a computer. It's not real. Da, 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 da. So, yeah, like, like I had a lot of epiphanies and shit, man. So. I did for a long time think that I had to like reinvent myself and just be different. And I feel like that kind of held me back, you know, but thank God for my fans and my industry friends, man, they kind of hung in there with me. Shout out to ASAP Ferg. You know, I was really down bad at one point. And then um, he dropped the uh, Let It Bang song with Schoolboy Q, which was, you know, a little different from my style, different from trap. So it kind of gave me a little bit more confidence. But to answer your question, yes, bro. I, I still battle myself like, hey, you know, you should make something new. You should try. You should try this, man. But like, I don't I, if any producers are listening now, you have to understand, man, like when you come out with the sound, those people want that sound. Like if I would go play Walker, like some pop record that I had made, bro, he would look at me like, what is this, dude? <laughs> like. Where's Trap Luger at, man? So, yeah, like any producer out there, man, own your shit, man. Don't be insecure about it. Don't be ashamed. If it's your sound, man, own it. Be proud of it. I think that finding your voice is the hardest part. And, mm. you know, once you trust that, then I think, you know, something like almost like a higher force is in control, like kind of guiding you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
is that how you move, bro? Is that like, how are you with it, bro? Because I know, you know, it's almost like we're in two different worlds um, as far as music. But how do you deal with, you know, the pressure of like a fan or, you know, maybe your peer or whoever, man, it might put a little negativity or, you know, a little push in your ear. How, how do you deal with it? I would say that it's those times where you feel the, the tension that sometimes it's those really those those leaps of faith or those breaks where you're changing your way of thinking. And those are probably the best times when you're probably getting the most flack. I'm always very intuitive about everything. And I try to be like responding to the process by like just not knowing what's going on, just kind of clearing my mind and being receptive to the sound and listening and responding. Mm. And that's the way I kind of compose is I'll sketch at the piano, I'll write things down, I'll orchestrate at the page, you know, written, but it's a very intuitive process that builds over time. And I remember in 2012, I kind of shifted away from what would be considered a little bit more contemporary or what was deemed cutting edge, uh, very experimental sounds that you do hear in some movie scores and like extended techniques, as they call them. Mm. I kind of went away from that prevailing trend to compose music that was just in my soul and my heart, like the melodies that I wrote at the piano that my grandma, you know, inspired in me when she was improvising and couldn't read music and would just play by mm-hmm. ear. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those kind of more intimate musical experiences is what I tried to channel into my sound. And then eventually I felt like I found a voice because I stopped trying to do anything, right? Yeah. It was just about whatever my energy on this earth was really meant to do. And then, then I felt confidence, like, okay, this, this is a voice now. This is my style. This is my sound. And for about, you know, seven or eight years, I felt pretty confident in writing each piece in the sense that I was like, I knew I could just trust myself. And that's kind of where it left me up until right into the pandemic. I did some electronics in 2009 and 10. And then I put the computer down as an instrument and I went to score and only acoustic instruments and recording you know, and having like, you know, acoustic concerts for, you know, almost seven or eight years. That's dope. But like, you know, it just as a kind of almost like putting on the, the blinders so that I could work with subtle sounds only on instruments that you could really never recreate electronically. It's like the vibrating string is just too organic to recreate. And I think that's the, one of the coolest things about this project is all the samples are 100% studio recorded acoustic instruments. I was listening to the songs, you know, you would send me and it was moving me, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, like my girl, my old lady would come in here and be like, you know, who's that? Like, what's that? I'm like, man, it's amazing, right? But just the emotion in it, bro. It's like, that's what's so dope about music too, bro. Like, I don't know what you go through on a daily basis. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if your life is the best or the worst, but I can hear it in the music you sent, bro. I could, I could like hear your happiness and your sadness. And it was beautiful, man. And I, you're right. It's different when you do it from like, uh, acoustic guitar but just something that's not digital bro you know so I do feel like that's what makes this project special too is people are are getting to hear emotions that like they don't really hear you know in regular trap or hip-hop or pop music at all really wow I mean yeah that's kind of like I think the coolest thing you could say right like that you're hearing new emotions and kind of hearing new feelings like that's what I think is the coolest thing about making music in general is new feelings and like exploring, like, like you said, some sort of balance between happiness and sadness and is, you know, and, and it's a journey kind of like that you, you don't understand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
like when you was working on it, man, did you like wake up every morning? Did you like eat a bowl of apple jacks? Like what was your <laughs> what was your everyday process for this? So it was definitely like in stages. I think, you know, survey says really kind of was the first and longest stage. It probably took me about three or four months to develop my voice with mixing and doing creative arranging and songwriting. Mm. Really, survey says was arguably my first song that I ever wrote compared to like a piece, you know, and those distinctions don't mean that much other than a song usually has some sort of chorus first chorus structure that's at least observable and has chords that are a little bit more visible where in composition, you don't have to have any sort of restrictions in terms of form. So being able to figure out how to work in that pop conventions and just like songwriting conventions was kind of the first really big exercise. And then I really started to get excited about adding sound design, adding mixing techniques and blurring sounds and kind of creating new sounds and then rearranging certain bars and lyrics and creating new sections just from stems. Mm. That became really exciting for me. I couldn't write the lyrics or have really developed that kind of content, but I could work with the lyrics that were written by a lyricist as an instrument, right? It became like another instrument that I could compose with. And your stems became new instruments that I could never write for. I could never write for 808 and percussion the way that you could. You know, it's just like it's on another level of control. So being able to balance all those new instruments, which were lyrics and electronic percussion, Mm -hmm. those became like new instruments for me to work with. And like I kind of tried to develop a style in working in editing and then kind of taking features and then elevating them into really orchestrated songs. So a lot of that was kind of developed in that first piece and then still do. You know, I ended up probably having 14, 15, 16 different edit mixes on each song. Oh, man, that's crazy. Yeah, you know what, Mike? Like, it, like if if you wouldn't have never told me this, bro, I would have thought that you were Mike Dean at this shit, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how when when I heard that album, bro, I was like, oh yeah, bro, know what he's doing. He's been doing this for a little while, you know. So you telling me all of this info, I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> you know, this is this is a, this is a good this is good for for a test run. It sounds like for you, bro. Or just experimenting, man. Like, it, it's amazing. It sounds amazing. Well, thank you. I mean. I put 10 years into that. And every day when I'm making an album, I think about the album. So that, that, that's to answer your other question earlier is every day I thought about, hey, where, what, what is happening next? And maybe that's like, oh, I need to email Shanique and see this. And then it was more like, you know, kind of breadcrumbs with you. Like, you know, what's next? Maybe we need to, you know, because really we did it over a course, you know, it was like November really was when uh, Still Do was recording. Yeah, we went crazy. Like, I guess at first it was kind of, you know, you do one song, you know, and we kind of holler at each other every couple of weeks or months. But yeah, closer it got to the release date, we just banging them out, <laughs> banging them out. Yeah. So let me ask you this, if, yeah. if it's OK. I don't know if you want to let everybody know. Sure. What do you use? Like, what's your go to keyboard, your analog? Like, what, what, what do you use? Usually I use a, an upright piano or, or a grand piano. OK, OK. That's my preference, right, to be like on a on an acoustic piano mm-hmm. and then if it's keyboard or midi keyboard you know sure i can work on that as well but there's i'm i wouldn't consider myself a keyboardist i'm more of a, a pianist composer and then the page you know like writing writing notes like kind of transcribing what i'm playing um you know i'll improvise and kind of just play for an hour and then maybe there's one chord or one melody that 
really strikes a you know like strikes a chord no no pun intended back with me yeah and then i'll just write that down and maybe i'll eventually add instruments on top of that melody but that you know that's that's going to take me months to develop probably so a lot of what i do is is definitely slow and kind of painstaking that's what makes a great project bro that's what makes a great artist i feel like is that time man that time that you're willing to give that nobody else is you know when something's meditated on and and mm -hmm. given space and time and like kind of balance and perspective all this you know through time it shows in the work i think it's you know you can tell something has all that tlc in it you know what i mean i made sure i sent this project out to like my father my mother my sister you know just saying like hey you know i'm kind of holding this project close to me you know what i mean this is this is a project that hits home for me you know and i sent it to all of them man and they, they were just amazed at i guess how i've grown musically you know i made sure i told them i didn't play you know the the beethoven stuff <laughs> but, but they were like oh man it's still you know to hear you you know grow from like uh you know a taylor gang to like those records up there man it's insane it's insane so you could hear it you could definitely hear i guess the experience that means a lot to me um that you would share it with your family and it was something kind of close to you Oh yeah, bro. It's it. I'm I'm humbled, bro. Like I, I appreciate you for working with me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't, you know, I know I'm I'm Lex Luger and all of that, bro, but I'm I'm not at the end of the day. I'm still Lex just out here making beats, bro. So it's an honor to work with you, you feel me? To have your musical intellect, you know what I mean? I work with a lot of people, but you know, they may not have been they might have been more famous and successful, quote unquote, you know, to the average human being. But your musical intellect, bro, I feel like by far, you know, you're, you're a lot smarter than a lot of these niggas out here. <laughs> so kudos to you, man. Respect. Appreciate that. Yeah. Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the Talk House podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade-plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.
I had one question for you just about kind of like themes and vibes and just in your music over time and how it's evolved and how it's kind of still been centered to your sound. Do you find that like there's this element of something that's like haunting or hypnotic or, you know, you mentioned repetition, but there's something like a little like, you know, spooky, you know, as they say, it kind of adds this mystery in the whole sound world and it almost like sucks you in. It's very hypnotic, I, I find. I'm just curious, how do you approach almost that theme in music? Well, you know, just growing up, man, like I'm, I'm, I've always been the mysterious guy, you know, <laughs> the quiet guy. But I honestly don't know. Like those type of questions, I might just cop out and be like, oh, it's God. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which it, it mm-hmm. probably is, you know, it's probably, it's just a blessing. But I'm a, I'm a quiet dude, man. You know what I mean? I, I have my own demons. Everybody has theirs, you know, that I deal with. I might deal with them differently than, you know, other people. Um, I definitely put everything that I think is wrong with me in my music, you feel me? So mm-hmm. that, that might be where the aggression comes in or, you know, just like the dark kind of spooky vibe comes from. It's just, you know, me kind of bringing out the suppressed memories and the suppressed, you know, depression and all of that shit. Um, I absolutely love horror movies i just watched like uh the shining yesterday like i I just love those type of movies man maybe that might have played a part in you know my production just you know the spooky shit man i love the scores i love the the soundtracks of the the creepy yeah low octave you know the bells just just that type of shit man so i feel like that's maybe where my whole sound comes from and like man like the brick squad days man like me Southside and walker man like in that basement, it was almost a contest to see who can make the darkest shit. <laughs> like, who can make the hardest, most gangster murder beat? You know what I mean? You know, everybody has their thing. Some people go jogging, some people box, some people, you know, that's that's my thing, man. I love to make those records, man, because like I said, I'm I'm not a murderer. I'm not, you know, some sick guy out here, but you know, everybody has those urges and bad thoughts and stuff, man. So that's my way of getting them out. You feel me? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that that idea of being very vulnerable and kind of putting all, like, dealing with your, almost your issues with art. Yeah. That's, that's like, you know, it's really beautiful, you know. It's painful, but it's beautiful. Thanks, man. Thanks. At one point, you know, I had made it quote unquote and you know I got the songs on radio I just noticed like my beat started to get more and more happy and almost just regular you know what I mean like the 808s weren't hitting as hard you know, I had of course bought more equipment and you know of course that changed my sound and I just remember thinking like damn I gotta get back to me you know I had I had been watered down I had been I felt like all of these producers were telling me, you know, you got to get the Nico, Nico keyboard and you got to get this, you got to get that. And, you know, it didn't help my sound out at all. So, you know, um, if anybody's listening, man, producers and shit, man, listen, man, stay true to you. You know what I mean? And I'm going to try to get y'all some gems in this podcast, man. So stay true to yourself, man. If, if that's the sound that makes you happy, you and your friends happy, make that shit, man. Own that shit. I remember my best friend, I had did Harden and Paint for Waka and we were listening to it in the car and he just turned it down. He looked at me. He was like, bro, I'm not just saying this because we friends and shit. He was like, man, I have never heard music like your music. Like I have never heard beats that sound like your beats. 
no music has ever made me feel like your music made me feel. And that shit just blew my mind, bro. It touched my heart and everything. You know what I'm saying? So I don't like telling my grandmother, you know, I have a song called Heart in the Paint or Fuck You Bitch or whatever, you know, whatever it is, bro. You know what I'm saying? I just feel like really like, oh, Cubby, you know, I call it Cubby. I don't want you to be less proud of me because I'm making worldly music. (laughs) But, but, you know, I've, I've been able to explain to her that same thing I just told you, man, like, if God wants me, you know, to get out here and make some gangsta ass hip hop, you know, for, for kids to find a better way. You know, some kid, I just met a 14 year old dude the other day and, you know, he wants to do music and whatnot, man. You know, I told him, man, if that's going to keep you out of trouble out the streets, go for it, bro. Go for it. If it's bad music, you know, as long as you're not, like I said, out here murdering people, you know, doing shit for real, man, just do you, man. Do the music you love, man. Even if it is. Fuck you, bitch. Suck my dick. You know. <laughs> you know what I mean, for sure though. Uh, and you know what? How do how do you feel? Like, I know you expected, you know, something from me. You know what I mean? Like when we were working on this. But like, how did you feel when I just took, you know, such a beautiful piece of music <laughs> and just like trapped it out? <laughs> I was in love with the sound. You know, I I think that's what I kind oh, of I was hoping that like it was it was possible that like you know instrumental music could sound like really hard trap and really and really convincing and kind of like a like fit right like it would it would actually work and then as soon as i heard how the melodies were intact and how they were still singing and i could hear the melodic kind of texture that i was talking about a little bit earlier about how you develop this own way of making melodies and your your own style of melody i could hear that and it was, you know, it's this post-minimalist kind of contemporary melody, right? It's not like the Shining soundtrack and Horrorcore and Ligeties, you know, who's the, who did the 2001 yeah. soundtrack as well. It's, yeah. It might be influenced from that period in a kind of brooding, pensive, kind of like really introspective way. But I thought, you know, the way that it was able, like I said, it was like a dialogue. It was like the, the instruments were talking to each other. They were counterpoint. That was when I knew it was something different. That's crazy, yo. And I, I don't, I don't want to sound like too confident, but I just knew, like, yo, nobody's gonna be able to do this. Like, I could do it. <laughs> like, I live for this shit. I live to like sample Star Wars and shit. Like, you know what I'm saying, bro? It's perfect, dude. It's so perfect. Yeah, definitely one of one in the way that you approach the music. Facts. Thanks, man. Thank you. For sure. A lot of other sampling techniques are smaller chops and kind of, you know, adding layers and stuff. But like you said, sometimes I didn't notice exactly everything until I really looked at the stems was how you pick different parts and kind of recombine them. And then I added some layers and some other strings and different pieces and instruments. You know, it was a real collaboration. It was organic. It wasn't planned. It wasn't calculated. It was just natural. Yeah, it was, though, man. It was, man. I needed this. You know, I needed a breath of fresh air, man. I know my fans wanted something like this. You know, it was definitely out of the norm, but, you know, they were able to hear my production, man, with, you know, your production, your composing, and a new, you know, a new wave of rappers. You feel what I'm saying? Like, I've kept the same relationship with the kind of the OGs, you know what I'm saying? Juicy J, Guac, Rick Ross. So, you know, to hear Duke Deuce and look, got it on a Lex Luger beat, you know what I mean? It's insane, bro. It's insane. So... You know, I listen to it from a fan's point of view. I don't even listen to it, you know, as Lex Luger, 
listening to a project. It's you know, I listen to it from a fan's point of view. That's awesome that you can still do that. I don't play the radio and shit like that. <laughs> so that's when, when that project came out, man. That was the only thing I was listening to in the car. My kids were getting it was like, Daddy, can we watch Pepper Pig? I'm like, no, dad, no. Daddy just dropped. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna listen to Daddy. <laughs> That's too fun. We definitely we gotta lock in and, and do a chapter two for sure. I was just gonna say that I was like, man, when 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 can the fans expect you know a part two or you know some type of follow up? We gotta figure it out. I feel like you know next time you're in LA or maybe I could pull up to VA. Oh man, don't come to Virginia, man. I'll come to LA. <laughs> 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 I love VA, VA. You know I love you, seven five seven Suffolk. What up? But eh, no, I don't come here, bro. <laughs> we can, we can do LA. I love LA. There's a lot of good LA. producers oh. from from VA. It is, it is. But you know what? They're not even here, bro. They're not even here. <laughs> 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 but you know what? Tim uh, Timberland had well, he had an eight million dollar studio out here, man. Fucking nuts, insane, beautiful uh, kitchen, three four rooms, bedroom, workout area. It was lit. Still is lit. But, um, you know, if you was to come out here, man, I, I could book that for a week and we can just, you know, get that get that Timberland energy. <laughs> you know what I mean? That would be next level. Yeah, Christmas. man. He still got his, his ASR 10 in there, all his old equipment, Nico computer, man, all of that shit. Man. Be so, yeah, we might can do that. I'm working on some stuff now. Um, I don't know if I should be saying this, but fuck it. Wiz and Juicy J. Me and Juicy J working hard. So I would love for, you know, I think I mentioned to it, mentioned it to you before, but I would love to have you on, you know, this EP or album or single, whatever we're working on. I'm definitely, you know, now that, that we, you know, we've maybe kind of struck a chord in its own way and, you know, it yeah. needs to kind of see where it goes. I think it would be perfect with Juicy J, bro. That sound that, like you mentioned, the sure. sound, like it would be perfect. perfect. Yeah. The whole three, six kind of, they kind of created that palette that, you know, yeah, yeah. I've been talking to Paul, too. I think we should do some shit. Maybe, you know, God willing, man, I could be like the golden child, bring Juicy J and, and DJ Paul back for, for an album. I know they touring, but that'd be crazy, right? Uh, a 3-6 Mafia 2022 album? That'd be crazy. But you got any other questions, man? I think I got like maybe one or two more questions for you, bro. Yeah, sh shoot your last question. I mean, I hit on hit on a lot of the, the ones that I that I wanted to talk about. And I think you, mm. you, you hit on some things that like transparency is, I think is a word that I, I always talk about in the sense that mm. you can see, you can see through, uh, you know, all the structures and everything, and you can kind of see into the work. And then that gives you like a kind of a weird relationship when you're listening, because you can, you can almost, you know, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's minimal, right? Minimalism allows you to have this relationship with the work that if you're being pushed or if somebody's trying to, you know, like force you to, to, to experience something, you don't have that same kind of relationship. It's not like an invitation. True. And I think that was the coolest part. It kind of was like, it was an invitation into the two worlds kind of mixing, you know, it was kind of an inviting experience. And that's, I think that's what I was most excited about. Yeah. I definitely felt comfortable. It was, it was no weird shit. It was no more. Cause a lot of projects I still do, bro. Like I barely talk to the artists, bro. You know what I mean? It'd be straight manager. It's just straight business. So yeah, this this project was definitely personal. I think 
I think it was simple, but not simple. You know what I'm saying? Like very complex in a way, but still, you know, a regular listener could understand it, you know? For sure. But I do feel like the next, you know, the next go around, we should we should go a little deeper. You know what I mean? We should we should sure. we should donda, you know what I'm saying? Like go crazy sure. with the sonic. <laughs> For sure. It'd be great to like work with musicians together like live in the studio with live instruments and just kind of vibe out yeah yeah like do a little more some old classic records you know what i'm saying just just have some fun i'm with it so what's music to you bro let me ask you that what's music to me damn yeah (laughs) it's kind of everything it's 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 religion it's energy it's life it's Mm. it's it's enjoyment it's kind of like my sustenance right it's my passion yeah good shit right you know there's daily life and there's family responsibilities you know bills and stuff like mm-hmm. that and then there's music it's all it's almost heavenly it's almost like worship for sure it is bro and i like i have six kids and you know a wife so it's so hard to balance it bro it's it's so hard to like drop one thing and you know now granted i'm never like dropping my family off, but <laughs> like it's just it's hard to like not give one thousand percent with my music you know and i just i've been doing it since i was a child you know so me having to you know cut that time and relationship that i have off with music is a little difficult you know what i'm saying it's you know i I don't know if people know this man but i'll go weeks without making a beat and i know that's not good but for me i feel like it's healthy you know i kind of need to take a break to take a step back Cause I am an artist and I'm very sensitive about my shit, you know? So, you know, I'll mm-hmm. get in the car and turn on the radio and, you know, I won't hear me up there or I just hear somebody that sounds like me. I'll, I'll hear a rival, you know, and I'm just like, man, fuck this shit. <laughs> so, uh, I've, I've definitely learned how to work smarter and not harder, man. Just, I don't feel like I have to pump out 10 beats a day anymore. You know, for the longest, I felt like, you know, Lex, if you don't make at least five to 10 beats today, somebody's going to take your spot, bro. And it's, I just, you know, my, my oldest daughters are 11 and 12 now. And, you know, there's so much time I felt like I've missed just because I wanted to get on somebody's album. You feel me? Mm-hmm. So, you know, your project along with the Juicy J projects, it's, I give, 110% with those projects and you know after they're done you know put them out get the response I'm able to chill man you know I'm able to relax and enjoy it mm-hmm. you know I, I think I said earlier like I you know I would just get in the car and turn on the same album you know just you know just 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 feeling it man just understanding like okay, okay yeah. this yeah this is what I did it for you know this is why you know I sacrificed a movie night with my family you feel me for sure. I think that's the perfect kind of lasting balance that you're hitting on is just that family, you know, personal life and that daily life and, and how how to kind of separate the two and then have them balance. But that was the, the probably the hardest thing for me in the pandemic was I couldn't really compose music the way I was because it was all about interactions with people and and, you know, friendship and, and you know, and daily life. Right. And when daily life got put on hold for me, I had to like kind of break all the molds and try something that I could do remotely and, and try to do something that was probably in my heart. I, I loved hip hop my entire life, but you know, I didn't, I didn't know how I could really 
get involved really to be honest and um oh. just shutting everything down so you know all the tours that i, I was going to have in early 2020 got shut down and it was just like all right i'm going to push through this and try to just come out new but you know that that whole daily life struggle like that you were talking about i think of, of balancing everything it, it, it informs you as an artist right it, and, it, and it makes you a rich person and then that is what you bring back so if you take two weeks off or a week off you have all this complex human emotion that you've just processed. Now, when you come back to work, it's all there, all that process. And then it's channeled into the work. That's right. Facts. Yeah, I definitely, you know, respect your craft, man. Uh, you know, having this conversation with you has made me, you know, fuck with you even more. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like your outlook on music, man. I like your outlook on life. It seems like you got your head on right. You feel me? So, I, you know, I hope when this podcast drops, man, it really, you know, opens other producers and composers' ears and eyes and minds, you know, to the endless possibilities, you know what I'm saying, that that music can provide for you. For sure. That's a nail on the head right there. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> Facts. Thanks for listening to the Talk House podcast, and thanks to Lex Luger and Michael Vincent Waller for chatting. If you like what you heard, check out the Classics EP, which is out now. And be sure to follow TalkHouse on your favorite podcasting services and social media outlets. This episode was produced by Melissa Kaplan, and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.